This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to There's no question, it is the season of overtime. The Stanley Cup playoffs is always heightened by games that go beyond regulation time. Marty, we're going to dive a little deeper into, you know, the stories that get told through these games, whether they're 60 minutes or a lot longer. And we're going to do so with Emily Kaplan of ESPN coming up. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, when... It shifts from regular season to playoffs. You have different national people following the series and in in essence, kind of following you around, establishing new relationships. And the longer you go, the more you get to know them and the more they get to know you. So quick story, when OLN was the uh, national uh, broadcaster and we played Carolina in 06, Bob Hartwood was the ringside reporter and co-host at Leafs TV. TV, Absolutely. And so he comes to me in between periods, he says, Marty, we got that great clip of you talking to Eric Stahl and chirping him about the penalty that, you know, Jay McKee took and Stahl went down. Can we use it? And I had gotten to know Bob a little bit. So I'm like, absolutely. If you think it's fine, go ahead. Like it's the trust that you get with these, these reporters now, because you've been spending four, five, six, seven weeks with them. So, yeah, I think you, you forge new relationships and you get to know them better. The real reason that you established a relationship with Bob Harwood is because he parlez-vous français. I'm and super. They're, they're, <laughs> no, he's, I thought he was pretty good at it. No, he's really good. good. I'm just saying yeah. that that is a small oh, just part a small of the reason. relationship. Yes, a yeah. small reason for sure. And I would say this based on everything you just said. For me, I was lucky to cover my first Stanley Cup final in 97. It was the Wings and the Flyers. And I was not following them around the entire time, but just landed in the final. But in, in some strange way, was able to establish a good rapport and trust with Doug Brown, seemingly, of the Red Wings. And I will never forget being in the room when they won. You remember what it was like at the old Joe. Like, it's chaotic, right? And you're, you know, there's a million cameras. There's nowhere to move. And as he sees me, uh, you know, trying to get to him for an interview, like he reaches over top of somebody and like grabs my (laughs) coat and like pulls me into the the chaotic scrum. And it's just funny how... You, you just feel like you can trust people and ask them, you know, a pertinent questions and, and most importantly, get really good answers about the, about the game and everything that's going on. So when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo, the only sports books in Western New York, Seneca resorts and casinos, betting counters are open daily and self-serving betting kiosks are available 24 seven at all three locations. So whether you visit Seneca, Niagara, Allegheny, or Buffalo Creek, the Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The Sports Book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Marty, there's no question that Emily Kaplan has been um, you know, involved in some really great individual moments with the players who've been shining brightly in these Stanley Cup playoffs. Emily, what has it been like for you here in this season on ESPN to now be in the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and and talking with these players through the highest of highs and lowest of lows as far as we are right now. I know it's only round one. Oh, it's been a whirlwind. And honestly, like, I feel like a rookie right now that's just getting the most incredible ride of their life, um, you know, being able to be part of these broadcasts for ESPN and ABC in this first year of our new rights deal. Um, but I do feel very fortunate with the platform that I'm given that I get to talk to the guys 
um, who are the stars of the game or who have big important moments and, and share their stories with the audience. You know, something that we feel really strongly about at ESPN is a way to grow the sport is through storytelling. And that's something that's really important to me. So um, one of the things that I've just been focusing on with these interviews is kind of building narratives around guys. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about Louis Domingue and his spicy pork and maybe some of the follow-ups to that. Um, but it's even in Carolina, like, you know, that's a team that I've covered a lot. We were there at game one. Um, I just flew in them from their game uh, last night. And, you know, the identity of Rod Grindamore, all the different personalities of the team, how they all meld together under his identity. Um, you know, and a, a perfect example is Seth Jarvis. Like, that's a kid that I really didn't know much about before the season. You know, he comes in, all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, he's actually making the roster. And now he has three playoff goals, including two last night. Um, and just kind of introducing him and, and so it's just been a blast. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm totally rambling on because if you guys can't tell, I'm running on empty right now. I'm on a rookie <laughs> deal with unlimited call-ups. So their work would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of like one thing I wanted to ask because people don't realize that, but you've been going back and forth between series. So what is like, let's just say the last five days, what has your travel schedule been like? Uh, because you're not, being flown in on a private jet like Charlie McAvoy to play the game. Like you're going airport to airport. No PJs for this girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, let's see. It began Sunday. I had a game in Boston on Mother's Day that afternoon. Um, after that, I flew to Pittsburgh that night. I had a game in Pittsburgh on Monday. Uh, then I flew Tuesday to Raleigh. Um, I had a game there and you see me pausing because sometimes I'm, me and Ray Farrar were just at baggage claim and we're like, what plane did we come in from? Where are we? What city is this? Um, after Raleigh, I just flew to New York here. Uh, so that's four games in four days. I think I did that right. It's been a little nutty and it's been interesting because we're toggling between series. So, you know, you get to see the identity of each series and you kind of compare and contrast them at a very intimate level. Um, but it is sometimes kind of hard to keep track and just remembering, you know, all the nuances of series unless you're, you know, following it that intimately. This is a tricky one based on the fact we've established the newness of the deal for ESPN and ABC and your role prior to this was a, a, certainly a little different uh, as a reporter than, than what you're in now, but have you felt like, and again, COVID protocols and everything play into this too, have you felt like you've been able to make these inroads all year long with players and with teams and and do you feel that now that you're you're in these moments like do you feel a genuine good awareness from the players and the teams because of the network that you're on this season for sure i mean so i've covered hockey since 2017 for espn um but it was 90 percent for espn.com you know i get an occasional sports center hit here or there um, i appear on a show called around the horn i get so excited when we get a hockey topic in there it's usually in the c block and it's usually like one yes or no question go um so i feel like for the last four years you know i've been putting in the work and i'm at the rink and i'm talking to guys and i'm building these relationships with the players the coaches the agents the management staffs um because i'm so passionate about hockey I still carry that passion. I'm just given this new platform of visibility. And it's so interesting how all of a sudden people are like, where did this girl come from? I'm like, I've been here the whole time. It's just, you realize that TV does carry that, you know, that visibility and that extra platform. And, um, you know, so the stories that I feel like I've always wanted to tell and did tell, um, I just get to tell them to a much larger audience. My biggest issue, honestly, is that I like to tell really nuanced stories. And I'm a writer by trade. My first job was with Sports Illustrated. If I'm writing a story about Marty Baron, I want to write 4,000 words about who he is and 
just how sparkling his blue eyes are and like really oh. capture that. Uh, <laughs> but on TV, I only get 20 seconds, which is really difficult to distill all that down. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, but it's funny, like, you know, I'm at the rink uh, in Pittsburgh the other night, walking out with Ray Ferraro and I see Chris Drury and goes, hi, Ray, hi, Emily. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never talked to Chris Drury. I've requested to interview him like five times this year. He's been so coy, no, but he knows exactly who I am. And that's a little bit of a, sorry, I'm gonna curse for a second, mind, um, because, you know, you just it's just it's a weird position to be in to be this visible. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but but you have to be ready and prepared for the unexpected. Uh, and so game one between the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins, they go to they end up in triple overtime. But in this double overtime, Casey Smith comes out, Louis Domain comes in, they win. You get to interview him after. So unlike writing and thinking about your questions, you're put on the spot. And I'll give you props because when he said he had dinner between the first and second overtime, you asked him what was for dinner. And then you got the great quote. So how did that feel after you got the quote? Is your phone blowing up from France saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you got him to say spicy pork and broccoli. And uh, was it like just unreal? It was pretty crazy. Yeah, um, you know. I knew it was a fun moment. Um, I just didn't realize how fun. And of course, you know, when you have that big of a stage, Madison Square Garden, triple overtime, um, a, a unknown goalie who comes in against the New York Rangers that gets shared everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, honestly, the, the weirdest part to me was arriving the next day because it was one of those situations where we go fly, we had a game the next day in Raleigh and walking into the rink in Raleigh and all these security guards I started to get to know and all the people in the truck are like, great interview, hilarious, spicy pork and broccoli. And, I, and like, well, everyone saw this and that's pretty cool. And, you know, it's funny because I got to interview Louis the other night, um, you know, again, you know, he's been such an incredible story. And I said, Louis, that game was a couple days ago and still anyone and their mother wants to talk about spicy pork and broccoli. Like the Pittsburgh Penguins have added it to their, you know, yep. concession menu. Like, what do you make of all of this mania? And he's like, you guys are crazy. Like, this is weird. And I'm like, it is crazy and we are crazy, but all we really want is some relatability. Right. And we want a connectivity to these athletes. And he just said something that was just so relatable. We all need to eat. We all sometimes eat something. You're like, oh, that wasn't the best choice there. And just his natural reaction. As you know, Marty, goalies are the best, specifically French goalies are the best. So uh, he's a beauty. I, I'll be credit to him. Well, I'll tell you this. He uh, he's got a cookbook. He's a good cook. He likes to be in the kitchen. So the whole story kind of the connected the dots. And it was really cool to put that loop all around it. And you did a great job. So that was amazing. It reminds me of when we had the, you know, Red Wings Penguins era of Stanley Cup finals. And uh, while the food choice was very expected, which was pizza as overtimes continue, <laughs> the best was when Peter Sikora in the house of the Illiches, owners of Little Caesars, uh, talked about the fact that, you know, uh, when he ate between periods in what was a triple overtime game, uh, he said pizza and the, and then he added from Domino's oh, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> just to get the dig in. And, uh, you know, so I, we all appreciate guys that are aware of the moment and can still be themselves, which is the humorous side, which people really love, you know, um, beyond this Louis Deming story, what other ones have you enjoyed telling or are on the cusp of telling? Ah, uh, that's a good one. You know, um, we have a piece that's, coming out we previewed it on the point and it's gonna air um in full this week on jordan bennington um and he was just really vulnerable and opened up about 
his journey because it's been such a roller coaster for him to go from, you know, this guy that was almost persona non grata in the Blues organization to being the hero when they win their first ever Stanley Cup. But then also what happens after that? And I think a lot of times, you know, when we tell the story of athletes, it's always the hero's journey and the rise um, and, and not necessarily the fall, but this is someone who's in a position where he doesn't necessarily know where his career is going to go. And to be so open to talking about being in that moment, I thought was really special. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that story. Um, if the Panthers keep doing well, you're going to see an awesome story on Scott Mellenby uh, reflecting back on the rat uh, year <laughs> and the rat trick. And if you don't know it, just wait, because it's so good. And he was just so introspective and interesting about what it all means, bigger picture, why we still care about the stupid rats they threw on the ice or the bloodstained wall that was in that locker room all these years later and how you build a team and how you build momentum and stories and narratives around the team. So that one is cool. Um, and then yeah, just some of the in-game interviews, like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that I've gotten to know a lot of guys in this job. And like a great example was the other night in Boston or day, I think that was day game. Uh, it was that Sunday game. Um, Ian Cole is a player that I've always enjoyed chatting with. And, you know, when I, we interview, when we request these interviews, it's typically, you know, the star player or, you know, the one, two or three star. He's a defenseman who's probably best known for killing penalties and being on their top penalty killing unit. But I knew that if I asked for him, he would give me a good interview. And he just gave such great answers. It was, you know, after a controversial goalie interference call, the Kings obviously disagreed with it. He gave his opinion there. It was his 100th career playoff game. Um, you know, he kind of just reflected on what he's learned in, you know, from the first game he played into then. So those are some of the stories that I love and I'm proud to be able to share with the audience. Do you make predictions? And I'm asking because Bob McKenzie up in Canada always says, I don't make predictions because I don't want to cheer for my predictions to be correct in the end. And as a, you know, neutral writer or reporter, you kind of have to see both sides. So did you make predictions entering the playoffs? So I would love to be like Bob McKenzie's stature and to say, no, I don't do it because I can't, but work makes us all email it in. So I did do predictions. I will say I do have rooting interests. It's, it's so unfair or unrealistic to say you don't, but the things that I root for are the people and the stories and yeah. the good people that I've met in this game. I want to see them succeed and I want to see them find their fulfillment and I want to share good stories. So like when I have a good story in the bank, I'm like, oh, I hope that player does well or that team does well so that we can air it at this time. So 40 years from now, when you're still dominating this business as an insider and storyteller like Bob McKenzie has, who has now shifted into branding and alcoholic beverages like Bobby Margarita, <laughs> what would be your beverage that is all Emily Kaplan that you would promote? Oh, great question. Um, everyone who's been on the road with me knows my go-to order is a scotch and soda after a game I know it's kind of a weird one and then they all make fun of me because they're like what kind of scotch I'm like oh whatever's well I don't really care that much um so whatever's well scotch maybe that could be my branding just kind of non-fussy um I'm also big on coconut water for hydration um nice. that has been my recovery tool so L let me guess you and Weeksy share that yes uh, I love that guy um yeah I didn't know that he was a big coconut guy but water guy but that's good to know and he's such a business guy we I should probably call him and uh, figure out something uh, Weeksy, a business guy, no kidding. He's got a side <laughs> deal for everything. But again, so you talk about the relationship now with ESPN and being able to bring in all these new reporters and analysts with the group. And you talk about Ray Ferraro. Uh, we had 
uh, Cammy on the pod earlier this year. She told us some race stories. So I, I feel like, and we have Darren Dreger on the radio show every Friday and he does a podcast with race. So we get a lot of race stories. So um, anyone that you would uh, care to share about Ray Ferraro and what it's been like with him the last few days? I love Ray. I really appreciate him. And I think he's been such a champion for women and um, you know, part of that is, you know, just due to his respect for Cammy and the way he talks about Cammy, just respect so much, but he just really makes me feel like an inclusive part of the team, but so much so that he loves chirping me. Um, and I, once he realized that I was someone that didn't get easily offended, it like became the greatest day of his life. Uh, we were at a game in like Philly, I don't know, it was probably December or January. And, um, <laughs> I am texting, walking into the gym and I walk into the glass door he told no less than eight people that day. We go to our coaches <laughs> meeting. Hey, you know what Emily did today? She walked through the glass door. Um, so my favorite rate for our story is today, actually, because we came to New York. I'm a Jersey girl. Um, I booked the travel and I'm like, hey, we're flying to Newark. I think that's a better option to get to the West Side. And he goes, oh my God, this is going to be a mess. There's no way. Let me tell you guys, it was the easiest travel day we ever had. Got out there, bags were hand delivered, taxi was waiting, 30 minutes door to door. We're here at the hotel now. So eat that, right? <laughs> oh i love it that is so good ray is such a good person it's um and i would say i mean what's great about everything you said is it's because it's super important with the growth of the game the coverage of the game i just find him to be just inclusive in general right yes. like he is yeah. just that type of person and it's not to say there aren't a lot of people like him, but boy, the world would be better if there were a lot more. It's, it's totally. It's, and he has an, a natural curiosity, which I think yeah. has allowed him to evolve. And that is, speaks to his longevity. And I also have to be careful, by the way, because his hotel room is like right next to mine right now. We're in a New York hotel. I don't think these are very thick walls. So he's probably listening, rolling his eyes to this entire thing. Um, but anyway, the natural curiosity of, you know, asking questions, getting different voices, um, not straying away from international but you know he was just telling me in the cab ride over here that like he's missing the world this year and that was his favorite event because he just loves talking to people in all different countries and all with a passion for hockey but all look at it from a different point of view and different perspective um so i really do appreciate that about him and that's why you know you see him on the biggest stage for the biggest networks because he's just awesome he's Is so there... good marty right i mean oh, ray's awesome does. and like, yeah he's He's easy going. He's sarcastic. He's witty. He's smart. He does everything. And and so when I worked with, and I still do some stuff with Ray, obviously at TSN, but there's always a competition between TSN and Sportsnet because, you know, you're the two networks in Canada and they used to share the uh, national rights and then Sportsnet got it. And now TSN is kind of in, you know, doing just regional things. So is there a competition between you guys and TNT and Turner because of oh, yeah. the fact like, and, and who is the biggest like and, and antagonist in that whole competition? You know, I think it's behind the scenes a lot. Like we're really competitive. And look, anyone who's in sports, I think has a natural competitive side to them. But like great example, like we've been doing The Point, our studio show all year and it's a fantastic show and it's so fun. And the first show ever, they bring out chicken parm for Bucci, John Bucci Gross, because yeah. he loves it. And after every show i don't understand how they do it they bring out chicken parm and now they bring out food and then after the spicy pork and broccoli which was an interview that aired on our network um they come out for the tnt studio show and wheel out some spicy pork and broccoli and people at espn are livid they're like they stole our idea this is <laughs> I'm like, 
okay, guys, I get it. Like people eat, it's fine. Um, but that type of competitiveness, I, I do appreciate. But at the end of the day, like I have so much respect for so many people who work there and the, and the product that they do. And like a great example, like Eddie Olchek texted me in the game last night. And I, I think he texted right too. Just like, great job, keep it up. Um, and that to me just speaks to the hockey community as a whole, because we can be competitive, but it's a great community. I almost feel like I remember our camera guy being so happy that our shot on the off day, like uh, sports center hit at TSN was a way better shot than what Sportsnet <laughs> had done. And yeah. he was so happy. Like we got a better location, a better shot. I, I feel like these are the people that compete, right? Like the producers yes. and the camera guys and the sound guys, like they're like, our, our job was better than theirs. Like they're really on display that way. Totally. And like, we talked about the visibility, like I'm talking about the grind that I'm on. They're working just as hard. And, oh. and those guys and gals deserve so much credit because, you know, you don't see their names and hear, see their faces all the time, but they work just as hard. And you're right. They're just as competitive. And I'm sure once I, th I think we got the better Charlie McAvoy entrance video yesterday than anybody else. So um, <laughs> our, our camera guys probably took some pride in that. Now, now, what made it better, Emily? Um, the only one. I didn't see it anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Exclusivity is key. No question about that. You now, were in the right spot, though. You were talking to Bruce Cassidy at that time, and he walked in, right, if I, uh, I if was, was correct? Yeah, and it's funny because I know Charlie. He's one of the guys I know. And so I texted him that day. I was like, hey, Charlie, like, I want to talk about the broadcast night of just, you know, where you'll be watching, what it's been like to watch from home. He didn't text me back. I was like, kind of pissed. And then so he walks in, he's wearing this N95, he's got the smile, and he just goes, sorry to text you back. And he just keeps walking by. So he's back in my good graces. <laughs> That's so good. Now you 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 painted the picture of of your work with ESPN before now, um, and and being on this this platform. How how would you how would you say it's gone? And like what were you feeling when? ESPN got the rights and you know so take take us through this evolutionary year for you and 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 what you've enjoyed what you've feared in certain moments I think we all feel some of that in, in this business yeah I think my fear it's more rooted in imposter syndrome and I think that's a really common thing um, for young people who get into this business specifically young women um, where you feel like do I deserve to be here and I've really had to develop a lot of confidence and, and realizing, yes, I did put in the work. Yes, I do deserve to be here. And yes, I add value. And I kind of have to remind myself that often. Um, you know, when we got the rights, again, I was a writer and I was hoping for more opportunities. You know, maybe they'll have me on SportsCenter more. I asked the bosses, you know, sideline reporting is something I'd really love to try. And, you know, if you could try me out on a couple of broadcasts, that'd be great opening night, I was between the benches in Tampa Bay uh, when they're raising the banner against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And to me, like, that's just a pinch me moment. Like, how did I land here? And, you know, it's been a learning experience because TV is still um, relatively new to me. Um, and I, you know, I'm still kind of figuring it out and it's tough to have those growing pains, especially live TV, live broadcasts. Um, when you do have this big stage and so many people see it. Um, that said, like, it's all about the reps. And I'm just so grateful that I've been able to get so many regular reps. Um, and I, I, I'm just enjoying the ride. And um, I, I don't necessarily know if my imposter syndrome is as bad as it was a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I think it keeps getting better and better with confidence. And, um, you know, I, I just think for any young person out there, it's just reminding yourself um, that if you do put in the work, you do deserve to be there. And you are covering hockey um, a ton right now, but you mentioned the show Around the Horn. 
um, you'll talk about everything. And you do you still have to keep up on what's happening in the NBA playoffs right now through the NFL and the draft and all of that to be, and do you still do the show now or is it kind of put aside for hockey right now? I put it aside the last few weeks. I honestly just didn't even have any days I could do it. Um, like there's, there's no opportunity. And I love the producers. They're so patient with me. Um, I covered the NFL uh, before I covered hockey. So I always feel like I've got a pretty good pulse on what's going on in that league. And I have people that I can call that can kind of fill me in. NBA is a struggle. I mean, it's the same exact season, the playoffs. Like, I don't think I could tell you the teams that are still in it right now. Like uh, I can, but um, it's, it, uh, it's I, I couldn't, like, but yeah, wow. I, that's not my job, but still like, I mean, I'm a sports guy. I like it, but I couldn't yeah. tell you who's in there. Have totally. you forgotten? No, have you forgotten something this year? Like it just, you went right past it because you're so busy with work, whether it's uh, you know, a personal milestone, a family birthday, another significant sporting event. You were like, Oh my God, I didn't even realize that happened. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of a specific example, but I do feel like this year has been a whirlwind and I'm like, I, I couldn't tell you what I did for Christmas this year. I'll tell you, I'll give you that. Like yeah. it just, everything has just been a blur and it's been awesome, but you know, there are sacrifices with this job, especially when you're working as much as I am. And yeah. I can't tell you how many weddings and birthdays and batch, mostly bachelorette trips. I feel like I've only gone to one. So probably for the better for my liver, but if Nashville had extended their series, you would have undoubtedly ran into another bachelorette party <laughs> while you were there. You right? just joined in. <laughs> Hey, I will say this. I just, the reason I, I kind of asked you the question, because it was top of mind uh, just a couple of days ago, first time ever, I completely forgot about the Kentucky Derby, like had no clue that it was on. And I'm like, how is that even possible? So we do all get wrapped up in whatever else is. You know what? The Derby was fun because I, uh, that was my one and only off day. Saturday yeah. in Boston was actually my birthday. Um, actually, great example because um, Sophia from Nesson, um, she was like, let's all get together. We'll watch the Celtics game. It's a big game. I was like, oh. Celtics are still in it. Okay. Um, and then afterwards it's just to horse racing. And I'm like, I know that the Derby is always around my birthday. I just like, didn't think of it to be today. So yeah, this was the Derby was a good example. Um, I want to go forward a little bit as to your thinking ahead to the finals, right? You guys have the finals this year. What do you ask me? We do. Right? We do. So uh, are you preparing already? Like some people would say, I'm preparing my outfits. I'm preparing, like I would, I would have my suits and Duffer, you'd be the same. No lie. Like I'd have my suits like prepared. I'd say game one, game two, game three, and the rotation would already be in, in, in production right now. Um, where are you, the excitement level for saying Stanley cup finals on ESPN and you obviously at the, you know, at the forefront of telling the stories. Okay, I'm not as conscious about my fashion as you, clearly. Also, I have a question. How do you pace it out? Because you probably want your best outfit for a game seven, but you don't know if you're going to have a game seven. Um, I don't space it out. I basically, and, and my one daughter is really good in organizing things. She went in my closet one day and put my shirts on one side, my suit. And she says, when you take a suit, take it from the left. And then when you're done wearing it, if you don't have to dry clean it, put it on the right side, and then you kind of work your way through. But sometimes there's one that's like three games from now that I'm like, I really want that one today. So that's kind of my system right now. But Duffer's the fashion expert. You should ask him. I have too many. No, not too many. That's wrong. I have a lot of choices. I feel very confident in almost all of them. Great. And I am always looking for a deal. Nordstrom Rack is probably my most used app <laughs> and you tend to get things delivered really quick. And once you know your size, it usually pays off and you don't have to get too many alterations. So uh, this is great. The Nordy Rack app. I'm about to download it. 
Um, but no, we're like, <laughs> to answer your original question, Marty, like we're all so pumped. Um, like this is something, again, you kind of just have to pinch yourself and saying, we're broadcasting the Stanley Cup on ESPN. I got to be a part of it. And, you know, we all know the history and just the gravitas that winning the cup carries and just being able to be part of documenting that moment um, for the masses is something that, again, like I haven't really been able to look that far ahead, but I know when I'm in the moment, um, it's going to be pretty cool. Hey, you mentioned being opening night between the benches. Have you had any uh, incidents down there between the benches this year? No, I, I haven't. Um, you know, it's it's funny. Like, I kept joking to everyone. And I don't wasn't really joking that I wanted a black eye because I thought it would give me some red. Um, and every <laughs> hockey player I told that to was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. So then I told the guys, that I'm like, just laugh a soft one to me. Like, you know, like, uh, I'll figure it out. Um, so no, like... I've been very safe, head on a swivel. The refs and linesmen are really good about um, making sure I put my phone away and then stay focused and I'm not texting in there because um, as I told you the story of me walking into a glass wall, I, I don't necessarily have the best spatial awareness all the time. Um, I You can talk to John Giannone. He had a pretty good black eye the one year. Oh, yeah. uh, there's been many guys and, and, and gals uh, and I don't know... Oh, We just uh, are going to oh, get so sorry. back I'm into so the screen. Sorry. But no, that, that's uh, part of the uh, hazard of the job. Sometimes you got to get quick response and then boop, it comes out. I know, I know. It was a text. It was about the game tonight. It was a report. I was just going to like a text. I thought it was being played, but damn, I have. It's no problem. It's, it's multitasking. <laughs> but the best part of it all is you know how to get back to your screens. Most people would be like, what do I do now? What do I press? How do I, how do I get there? So Now why would you throw Craig Ramsey under the bus like that? Oh, that's not Rammer's fault. He had too many cases of beers next to him after winning a medal at the Olympics. But anyway, um, what I was saying is that um, you see, it used to be just guys and guys that played the game that were between the benches, right? And now you see this not only go to all gender, but also not just former players, reporters, different people in between the benches. And Um, what does that give you more either accessibility to sounds on the ice or a, a better look? What does between the benches for you make the difference from being in the press box or anywhere else? Oh, it, it was everything. It's the coolest thing that I've ever gotten to do in my entire life. And every time I get an opportunity to be there, I just feel so grateful. Um, there's no vantage point like it. And you're right. Like one of the things that was so neat about me being able to do it on opening night is, you know, there's been a typecast of this role of, you know, it is typically an analyst and a former player. There's never been someone with my background or who looks like me or sounds like me um, who's been down there. And that's one of the reasons that my bosses wanted to do it is because they said, you've never been there. You'll notice things that maybe the people who've been there all the time just take for granted. And that's the things that the audience wants to hear, right? Because that's the things that they're curious about. Um, so that I just feel very blessed for that opportunity. And, you know, you have just a new appreciation for the speed of the game, the scale, the physicality, how clever some of the chirps are, uh, how <laughs> honestly just juvenile some of them are. They sound like five-year-olds a lot of the time. Um, you get a new appreciation for the way the officials have relationships with the coaches and players and the way they manage the game, not the way that people use manage the game in a negative connotation. Um, and it's given me a ton of story ideas, which is another thing that I'm appreciative of because it's just help my coverage so as we sit here in this moment and every podcast for the most part becomes dated very quickly but we'll live in the moment anyway as you're sitting here talking to us what are the biggest stories so far in these playoffs <sighs> the 
for me, it's the unlikely goalie, um, the surprise goalie. And just, you know, if we're thinking of one trend, it's just how many players have been thrust into this position and, you know, how many starters have been out um, and the way they've carried their teams. So, you know, Louis Domingue might be the poster child for that, but there's so many guys out there making less than a million bucks, just busting their ass every night. Um, and it's, it's really inspiring to see too, because you know, as you know, it's just such a specialized position. There's only 32 spots that, you know, you, that get a fill it really in a year, maybe 64. A lot of teams have tandems, but um, the fact that there's so many guys that are grinding, grinding, waiting for that opportunity to know that you can have that opportunity and the door can open as long as you stay ready, I think is pretty cool. Uh, I think goaltender interference has been one. So um, how about a That's trip to one. the uh, situation room and kind uh, of get a, a feel for all of that? I'm sure you guys have experienced it and through, uh, you know, being able to visit in, uh, in the offseason or whatnot. But uh, I think that's been one for me uh, that uh, people and fans and maybe it's biased from organization or fan base to fan base has been a, a pretty big story as well. Oh, um, no, totally. Just to build off that, Marty, though, like we get yeah. to have these meetings with the coaches off the record before games and almost every coach has had an opinion on it that they hate it. And they hate that the onus is on them for such a subjective call, right? Mm -hmm. Because if it's offside, like, okay, you're either right or you're wrong if you challenge it. Like, we can see, but goalie interference is so subjective. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see a reform because of what we've seen in the playoffs this year. So you had the better answer than me. Okay, well, how about this? And I know he's on a different, um, you know, network, but Charles Barkley had a great idea, and I want to get both of your opinions on it. He said, I feel like coaches should have one free coaches challenge that doesn't have a, a penalty attached to it. So if you get it right, then you still have your free coaches challenge. But once you get it wrong, you lose it, and then the next one comes a penalty. And I was sitting there, I'm like, why didn't I think of this? Like, Charles. But I, maybe somebody told him. But anyway, um, it's so a lot of time with Wayne in his life. So probably. But I'm just saying, like, is this something like that type of reform you you think or you you would think would do with uh, Coach's Challenge? Yeah. And Charles, like you said, he spent time with Wayne. Maybe Wayne's here from someone. I've heard a coach suggest that this week, a coach who's in the playoffs saying that's what they would like to see, too. So maybe that's one solution to it. Um, I'm curious because. You know, I cover the NFL. To me, this is the same situation we had with catch or no catch. And it was just driving people nuts. Just like the subjectivity of it. And it's hard um, because it's such an important call to make, but um, it is affecting games of the way you're challenging it and the way it's called. Well, that leads me to um, when you're talking about a, a freebie, so to speak, Marty, is that still within the same parameters of what is a allowed to be challenged? Or, or are you seeing are you talking about something that would widen the scope a little bit more? Uh, no, within what is allowed to be challenged. I don't think we want to go and start challenging a lot of other things. Now you're pretty much exhausting all the options. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, as we've seen between Montreal and Philly, a good thing that it wasn't a game that was, uh, you know, with playoff implications. Sometimes the referees don't even know the rules. So Emily, between the benches, is there ever a referee that came to you and said, hey, don't write about like, Uh, and you know how we call too many penalties or too few penalties or the standard has changed and whatnot. Like, have you had a good exchange with a referee there? Yeah. And it's not necessarily between the benches, but I've gotten to know them a bit just being around the rink and having the same kind of travel schedule. Um, and they are pretty, I mean, I think the biggest shame, honestly, is that they're not allowed to speak to the media. And I understand the reasons why, but I just mm -hmm. feel like if you under, if you hear them and you listen to them and you understand their job and their role, you have a different appreciation for them and you understand things a lot better. 
And, you know, one of the things that they're adamant about is we're instructed by Gary Bettman and Stephen Walkham, the director of officiating, to call the standard. And whether it's in the first five minutes of the game or five minutes into overtime, like call the same thing. We're not instructed to put the whistles away. We, you know, all of these narratives that are out there and managing the game is another one they're pretty big on. It's like, we don't walk out feeling good of like, oh, that was a great call game. Three penalties on this side, three penalties on that side. We walk away if it's, it's six penalties on this side and zero on that side, but those were the calls. We feel good about ourselves. Um, managing the game is more so when they're like acting like traffic cop, parent, um, psychologists, you know, separating all of these little scrums, um, you know, and having to sometimes assess a penalty just to manage the emotions in the game or talk people down. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've definitely had those conversations and I, I try to bring a different level of empathy because I do really feel like they are the underappreciated stewards of the game. Matthews winning in the first round, McDavid losing in the first round. What would be the bigger story? Um, I think it would just, ugh, that's tough. You know, I, I just think for Toronto as a whole, getting out of the first round, I mean, that's the elephant off their back. Um, you know, obviously the goal is to win the Stanley Cup, but they've got to do something. And McDavid, I just feel like if it happens, it's just like, oh, again, again, it's the same story we've been having. And I know it's like Maple Leafs, but it just doesn't have the longevity of torture for it. So we'll go Matthews. Uh, man, I was going to try this. Uh, that's usually my segment, the this or that's there. Duffer kind of like sprung that, uh, out here, which I absolutely appreciate Duffer. Um, okay. Well, goaltending story, uh, Louis Domingue continuing on his path and of success or anti Ranta, you know, in Carolina, having a chance to go all the way to the finals, like which one would be eventually the better goalie story? Oh, for sure. Domingue, because anti Ranta has been, a guy in this league for many years. And it's just kind of a shame that he never was in a position to be on a playoffs team. But the reason they signed him is for this veteran assurance because they knew, you know, if something did happen to Freddie, um, which it did, um, they could rely on him. Deming, you don't expect him to be in these moments. Like it's just, they're down to their third stringer. They sign him, you know, he plays the entire season in the AHL. Um, to a lot of people, he was not even a name entering the season. So he's the bigger story to me. More surprising, John Quick winning a round, Marc-Andre Fleury losing a round. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be John Quick winning. And the only reason I say that is that, like, the Blues just had the Wilds number. They were 9-0-1 against them entering the playoffs. So, like, I just yeah. had a hard time picking the Wild in that series, knowing that fact. Um, and obviously, like, I love that team. I love what they've built. It just it feels like if they lose that series, it was just because of the really challenging first-round opponent. Absolutely. 26 goalies have been used in the playoffs so far. Are we going to see 30? There was 119 in the regular season. I mean, we still haven't seen Cam Talbot. I'm not saying we're going to see him in game six either, but I mean, there's still a lot of options left out there for goaltenders. Are we going to get to 30? I think so. And Freddie Anderson's another guy we yeah. haven't seen. It looks like the Canes are going to win that series. He should be available. Tristan Jari is making his way back. It looks like the Penguins are going to move on. So I like 30. I think we're going to get there, and it, including one guy that no one's ever heard of. Who is? I don't know. I haven't heard of him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we <laughs> thought you were teasing. Oh, Okay, well, last one. We normally wrap this up, Emily, with, you know, kind of Marty and I looking back at the last week and our three stars. But it's impossible to do that now because every single night we're, you know, being blitzed with incredible NHL stories. So it's not as timely. So we want to utilize your expertise and have you help project looking kind of crystal ball here, what you see as three significant 
off-season stories in the NHL? So I think the biggest one is going to be in Pittsburgh, um, the Coors last dance. And they've been trying to stray away from this narrative. But the truth is, Malkin and Latang have their contracts up. So does Brian Rust. And um, I don't believe the contract talks have gone really well yet. And I think that they're really far apart on um, sides, on term and money. And unless there's significant movement, like there's a legitimate chance that neither of those guys are Penguins anymore. And this is clearly an end of an era. So that to me is number one. Um, number two would be just how many head coaching vacancies there are. We're going to be talking about who's going where. It's always the dance. Barry Trotz was the big stunner the other day. Um, but that's going to be a huge story. And then lastly, you know, I'm based in Chicago and I would, I, at this point, I think I would be surprised if both Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze are on the roster to begin next season. I think both of them have been fiercely loyal to the organization. Um, both of them have not asked out yet and weren't ready. But just seeing how long this rebuild is going to take, seeing where they're at in their careers and maybe an opportunity to win one more cup, um, I wouldn't be shocked if those conversations happen over the summer. So whether they're there or not, it's going to be a story. Um, if it was Patrick Kane, and I'm sorry for the follow-up, but we are a Buffalo uh, fan-based uh, type of program. And if it was Patrick Kane to move, um, would you see a fit in Buffalo where uh, obviously he's from and Kevin Adams has said, we want people that want to be here. I would think if he's going to be on the move, maybe Buffalo would be a fit. Yeah. So for he had a little control, right? Because he has a no yes. wealth movement clause. Um, yeah. I think the opportunity to play at home would be really special. I think, you know, the way Buffalo ended its season with all of that momentum and you realize that the foundation is there for that to be a very good team, maybe sooner than a lot of people think um, would be enticing. I also think the New York Rangers, though, and the only reason I say that is not because he's showtime. It's because he believes the best line mate he ever played with his entire career is Artemi Panarin and yeah. a chance to reunite with him in this young team playing on Broadway. Yes, that is some enticing. Um, that might make some sense, too. Yeah, I can imagine Ranger fans wouldn't be too disappointed if, you know, they ultimately had to cut ties with Ryan Strom and then use that money towards bringing in Patrick Kane. So uh, something to watch for, for sure. <laughs> Emily, this has uh, gone like your season above and beyond our expectations. It has yeah. been absolutely amazing to have you on and uh, continued success. We really, really enjoy uh, everything you're doing with ESPN. Thank you, guys. I'm such a big fan of both of you. This is such a cool podcast, so I really appreciate you asking me. Well, we couldn't do it, Marty, without our great friends at Seneca Resorts and Casino. So we thank them once again. We'll see you next week on Instigators Overtime.